Welcome to the FPC Thomasville podcast. We believe human life has a designer, so learning to live by design will help you thrive within all your spheres of influence. Today, we will hear a message from Dr. Sasan Tavasoli as part of our World Mission Conference 2020. I don't know about how you started the, your faith journey with Jesus. I started with the question. I shared this in my testimony yesterday. The question that got me going in my spiritual life was, how come Christians can drink wine but Muslims cannot? <laughs> I know it's not a typical question. I know that. But the reason behind that question was that I had grown up in a Muslim home in Iran, and I believe God has sent prophets throughout history. They've all taught the same message. Minor differences, wine being one of the biggies between Christianity and Islam. And in God's providence, I had left Iran in the middle of the Iran-Iraq war as a 16-year-old teenager. My family's plan was to send me to a Muslim community in England, but by God's providence, I ended up in a Christian school in Portugal a school which was started by a group of American missionaries that said yes to God's call to go and preach the gospel. So, after, so when I asked this Bible teacher in this Christian school about how come the Bible says one thing and the Koran says something else, all that the poor teacher could say was, how do you know the Koran is the word of God? And as a Muslim, I had never thought about that question. It just turned my life upside down. I asked my mother in Iran to send me a Koran. I started reading the Koran. I started reading the Bible, going to church on Sundays, Bible studies on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, searching for the truth. What is the truth? And what, how the Spirit of God got a hold of me and my life were two things in particular. One was the teachings of Jesus about love, about forgiveness, about even loving your enemies, very different than what I was reading in the Koran. And the other thing were the Old Testament prophecies, how God had prepared the coming of the Messiah hundreds of years in advance. You know, anything in the Bible, in the New Testament that talked about Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He's God in the flesh who died on the cross for our sins. I would say that's insane. That's blasphemy. The Bible has been corrupted. But then I encountered passages in the Old Testament. You know, Paul quotes the Old Testament in the, in the passage in Romans. He's, he refers to Joel. He refers to Isaiah. And I knew the Old Testament was written centuries before Christianity. And one morning I woke up, and the verse in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 hit me like a ton of bricks. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace and how his kingdom will be an eternal kingdom. And it hit me that this Jesus is not just a prophet in the long line of prophets. He's God himself. He will be mighty God who will establish his kingdom. This is the same son who, according to Isaiah 7, 14, was going to be born of a virgin girl, and he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. So the next day, this, is, this, this revelation of this passage in Isaiah happened on a Saturday morning, January 19, 1985, the next day I went to church and professed faith in this Jesus. I called on him and he saved me. The day, January 20th, 1985, when I entered the kingdom of Christ. And I want to show a picture uh, of my baptism. This happened a, a couple of months later here. That's me, the thin guy. I was 16, I was 16 and a half back then. But before even, before I was baptized, this is March of 85, before I was baptized, 
uh, I started reading the Bible again, from the New Testament again from the beginning, and I came across John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And just like Paul reasoned in Romans 10, how are they going to believe on him if they haven't heard of him? How are they going to hear of him if nobody's going to preach the good news? How are they going to preach if they're not sent? I said to myself, God didn't bring me out of Iran, the Islamic Republic of Iran, in the middle of the Iran-Iraq war, to put me in a Christian school where I could hear the gospel and respond in faith so that I can go and live my own version of the American dream. No, God brought me out, God saved me, and now God wants me to tell other Iranians and Muslims about this Jesus. That's my mission, that's my privilege. We are blessed to bless. You know, Rob Weingartner, the director of the Outreach Foundation, referred to Abraham's um, promise, God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. Five times in that passage, God tells Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth are, are going to be blessed. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to the world, to be a channel of his love, to be a channel of good news. The, the reason I was able to say yes to Jesus, to respond to the call of the gospel, is because that man who baptized me and led me to Christ had also said yes to Jesus before me, felt God's call to take the gospel to a different part of the world. His name is Ron Morris. He was not a missionary proper, so to speak. He was an arts teacher. And he had become a Christian just a few years before that in college in Alabama, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And as an art teacher, he felt the call to go to Portugal and minister to the expat community in Portugal. Ended up being a teacher in that Christian school. He and a number of other American missionaries spent a lot of time with me loving me, caring for me, sharing the good news with me, listening to all my debates and arguments as a, as a very obnoxious Iranian teenager. And through them, Jesus won me to himself. Now, I lost contact with Ron Morris for 34 years. Last year, I found him through Facebook, contacted him. And the first question he asked me was, Sasan, are you still following Jesus? I said, I'm still following Jesus. And so last year, I had the privilege of seeing him after 34 years. I said, you are a grandfather to the Iranian community. There are hundreds of thousands of Iranians that have been impacted by my ministry through satellite TV. And you were used by God for the spreading of that good news. He's had a very rough life like with his own personal life and family situation. There were tears in his eyes to see how we can be used by God in a bigger, bigger story. And what Paul is saying in Romans is, the, the passage actually, Romans actually deals with a lot of tensions between Jews and Gentiles in the church in Rome. And what Paul is saying to the Jews and Gentiles is, to the Jews, it's not about your history with God and your privilege as the people of God and all the covenants and the blessings and the prophets. That doesn't make you special. And Gentiles, Romans, it's not about your status as Roman citizens and your power and your wealth and your position in society. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about what God is doing. There is a bigger story, and God invites us to be united in joining in God's mission in a bigger story. Now, I am not into music at all. So I checked the name of this hip-hop artist before I came up to preach this morning. 
But there is a quote I came across some years ago from a hip-hop artist. Tim, if you're into hip-hop, I'm sure you, you follow his music. But Lecrae, a famous hip-hop artist who I believe is a Christian, there's a quote from Lecrae that says, better to have a small role in God's history than to cast yourself as the lead in your own fiction. Better to have a small role in God's history than to cast yourself as the lead in your own fiction. And that's what Paul is saying. There is a bigger story. There is a bigger mission. God is involved in mission. And if you're growing in your Christian life, just like the Bible says, I am, God says repeatedly, I am holy, so be holy. If you're being conformed to the image of this God, of this Christ, if God is about mission, the mission of rescue, of redemption, redemption of humanity, we need to grow. As we are growing as Christians, we need to be passionate about mission. Our life needs to reflect the missional reality of God's life. A wonderful book, I'm a teacher within the Iranian world. Oh, by the way, let me say briefly something about my ministry. I'm a missionary with the Outreach Foundation, and uh, your church has generously, graciously supported me and various other ministries in the Outreach Foundation. And I'm here to tell you that through your support, through your prayers, through your involvement with our lives, you are impacting the world. Now, I know many of you guys have gone to places like Kenya and have seen the work of Stu Ross and the lives that you are changing in Africa by building churches and schools for girls. Let me tell you a little bit about how you, First Press Thomasville, is transforming the nation of Iran, the Islamic Republic of Iran. Now, I've been to this church many times in the past, but many of you guys might not know who I am. But Iran is experiencing one of the fastest rate of church growth in the world. God used Ayatollah Khomeini to bring people to faith in Jesus because Iranian Muslims have become disillusioned with Islam and the broken promises of the revolution. Iran has one of the highest rates of depression and anger, according to Gallup Global Surveys. It's one of the highest rates of drug abuse and addiction, divorce, prostitution, inflation. The country is falling apart at the seams and people are hungry for Jesus. So one of the ways that Jesus is running around loose in Iran is through modern technology and satellite TV. So one of the ministries that I do is I produce a lot of programs on satellite television. This is a studio in Orange County, California. And one of the programs we do is called Our House, Our Church. We try to model a house church. The Iranian regime shut down all our Protestant churches a few years ago. We used to have Presbyterian churches in Iran. We don't have them anymore. So we said, well, church is not about a building. So we are modeling how to do a house church. Now, satellite dishes are illegal in Iran, and yet the Iranian government estimates that 60% of the population have satellite TV. And as far as eyes can see, there are satellite dishes on rooftop. So one of the programs we produce is to model a house church. We have singing and worship and scripture reading and teaching and discussion. Every now and then, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We tell the people on TV, listen, next week, bring your grape juice, bring your bread. We are part of the body of Christ. You are not alone in your village, in your town. We are all together as a family of God. And so you are transforming Iran through a ministry like this. One of the people, next picture, one of the people 
the picture after that. One of the people that responded to this message of the gospel through these satellite TV programs is a fellow. We are not showing his face. I baptized him a couple of years ago in Turkey. He was a fierce, angry, hate-filled Kurdish person. He used to carry a gun, which I know in America that's typical. In Iran, that's illegal. Uh, I know that doesn't have its proper impact with you guys. So carry a gun. I have two guns here. But in Iran, that's a no-no. Uh, so everybody in the neighborhood was terrified of this guy, petrified whenever he would come around. His heart became so, so soft. He responded in faith to Christ. Show the next picture. And shortly after this baptism, he has now gone into full-time ministry, telling other the other viewers in Iran who contact satellite TV networks and want to, know, want to receive a Bible, want to know more about Jesus, this is the guy who endangers his life and goes, knocks on their door and tells them about Jesus and gives them a Bible. This is a story of a changed life of a man who's now dedicated himself to this call that we read in Romans 10. How are they going to believe if they haven't heard the name? How are they going to hear unless somebody goes and tells them this good news? Now, I don't want to say everybody who God, whom God touches becomes a full-time missionary. That's not the point. I heard, a, I heard a phenomenal story a couple of years ago by the director of Sat7. Sat7 is another satellite network. They have it in different languages, Arabic, Persian, Turkish. And the director of Sat7 Persian is a fellow believer from Cyprus. The offices are in Cyprus. And he was sharing the story that he came from a professional media background. And he was asked to consider becoming the director of this dinky little mom and pop's Iranian operation, uh, Christian operation called Sat7. He goes to the studio, he's very unimpressed with the cameras, wires hanging from the ceiling. It's not professional. It's not, it's not up to standards of a professional TV network. But he sits and watches the children's program that was being aired live into Iran. And little kids were making phone calls to this studio in Cyprus. They were engaging with the stories on the, on the youth program of Sat7. This girl makes a phone call from Iran, a 10-year-old girl, and says, I have a story to share with you guys. I've been watching your programs, and I'm hearing about this Jesus. And my, I, my dad is all alone. My mom has left us. And my dad is a drug addict. And I believe you guys have said, if I ask Jesus into my life, Jesus will change my dad. Jesus will change my life. So I want to let you know, I believe in Jesus through your programs. But I was told that you have to be baptized so I went and filled up the bathtub with water, and I baptized myself. And she said, when I came out of the water in the bathtub, the bathroom was filled with light. And I said, Jesus, can you change my dad? And she said, a few weeks later, my dad gave his heart to Jesus. He gave up drugs. He's a different man. I'm just calling to thank you for your program. When this guy from professional media background in Cyprus heard this testimony, he said, that's what I'm doing with the rest of my life. I want my life to count for something bigger than just making money and entertaining people on television. So this is how one way that God is at work through satellite TV. It's a game changer because for the first time in the safety of their homes, Muslims all over the world can watch Christian programs. 
Another ministry that I'm involved with is we have started an Iranian Bible college training house church leaders uh, in Iran, in Turkey, Iranians who are living as refugees in the diaspora world. And one of the students I just met three weeks ago in Ankara, Turkey, the next picture, this beautiful lady, white shirt in the background, her name is Sahar. She's a Turkish-Iranian lady, a Christian for 15 years, went to prison for her faith in Iran, had to flee Iran and come to Turkey. She's just arrived in Turkey. Her husband is still in Iran. She's in a very difficult situation, raising two teenage boys. But she learned the language of this ethnic group. And who are they, the, the people sitting around this lady? They are Turkmenese Syrian Muslims who fled Syria because of the war and are refugees in Turkey. And their tribe is called the tribe of idiots. And this Iranian Christian gal, who is a student of our Bible college and was getting trained as a, as a house church leader, she has all of her own troubles in life, difficulties, unfuture, uh, uncertain future, financial limitations, and yet she's felt God's call to go and share the good news to a different cultural group. And this is the, the house they meet in. This is the house church in this village in Turkey. So thank you. These are the pictures. I'm just sharing these stories to say First Press Thomasville is part of this story. Through your encouragement over the years, through your prayers, through your support. This is not that just some, happening something out there. It's happening because of your involvement. Now, I must make a confession. I haven't even started into my sermon, and time is up. <laughs> I guess I had prepared a two-hour message and I was told it's only 25 minutes. So let me end. <laughs> I didn't even get into my notes. Let me end with a couple of points of how we are all in this thing together. I don't want you to, for, the, for a second, think, oh, this is a mission conference. We parade missionaries as the heroes, people who've dedicated their lives. The rest of us are just ordinary Christians. Uh-uh. Uh-uh, all of us are called. All of us are called to have a role, to go, to send, to pray, to encourage, to go across the street, to go to our neighborhood, to go around the world. I want to read a quote from Dan Allender, a wonderful Christian psychologist. Dan Allender says, It matters little what problem, population, or place you tackle. It only matters that something in your soul pulses with eternity to join the cast of characters that ventures to create glory and beauty out of the ashes of the fall. It's redemption that lures you to say yes. Redemption is not narrow or limited to what some call full-time Christian service. Redemption, freeing of the soul and body from death to life, loosening of injustice, assaulting disease, growing crops for the hungry, comforting the dying, teaching a child to read, delivering a warm greeting to a neighbor is all about saying a divine yes to glory. And for each of us, there is a script written that is contoured to our deepest passion that reflects our core character and our truest calling. God calls us to certain tasks and jobs, 
But he does not do so because we are uniquely suited to do them. He calls us to the task or job because we are weak, broken, and ill-equipped for the task. What is my calling? It's to make known something about God that is bound to my unique face, name, and story. It's to reveal God through my character. When it comes to being caught by my calling, my options are simple. Whom will I serve? The population. In what locale will I serve that community, the place? In that community and in that place, what portion of the fall will I face? The problems. And what means will I use to address those problems? The process. Our calling in life is always tied to population, place, problems, and process. Our deepest dreams should always be about righting wrong and growing good. It's that simple. If our deepest dreams aren't about other people, then we have settled for mere power and accomplishment. The self-absorption of narcissism. Our deepest and truest dreams must bring good to someone who is without justice, reconciliation, or hope. Everyone is called to battle some unique effects of the fall. For each of us, there is a problem in the world that's meant to first bring us to tears and then bring joy to our soul when it is even temporarily subdued. As complex as our lives seem to be, God's plan is quite simple. He calls us to begin anywhere, and he will take us where he wants to go, where he wants us to go. Start with your strengths, and he will reveal and use your weaknesses. Follow our desires, and he will grow his passion in us. Amen? Sorry that that was a long text, but that's what it's all about. And I'm so thrilled, I'm truly so thrilled when I hear about your local ministries and outreach here in Thomasville. Jesus is running around loose in Thomasville, the way he's running around loose in Iran. And we are all part of this together. I'm a teacher, I recommend books, a fantastic book. I would recommend to your church to do in Sunday school classes, in group homes. It's a book by Christopher Wright. He's an Old Testament scholar, British guy. And the book is called The Mission of God's People, A Biblical Theology of the Church's Mission. And he actually has a chapter on this passage in Romans 10. I didn't get to it, but there is a chapter. <laughs> and he has a beautiful insight about the very reality of sending. He says, when you study the word sent in the Old Testament, usually there are two primary purposes that God sends people, his prophets, his men and women. God sends to deliver, rescue, redeem. God sends to reveal his word, his will. And he goes through people like Moses and Joseph and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But it's not that just God sends, but the very reality of the Trinity reflects that sending. He has a section in this chapter called the sending God. Sending, in fact, is an activity of all three persons of the Trinity. There is a missional dynamic within God himself in relation to the world. And then he goes through the Bible passages. The Father sends the Son and the Spirit. The Son, Jesus, sends the Holy Spirit and the apostles. The Holy Spirit sends Jesus into his mission, sends the church to preach the gospel. So he says at the end, the mission of God's people then is not some external structure built by the church itself, a program or a strategy devised by an institution. 
Sending in mission is a participation in the life of God. The mission of God's people in this dimension of sending and being sent is to be caught up within the dynamic sending and being sent that God the Holy Trinity has done and continues to do for the salvation of the world and the revelation of truth. When you are involved in growing and sending and supporting, you are being caught up in the life of the Trinity. You are reflecting the fellowship of God the Father, Son, and Spirit. You are being caught up in the joy of the mission of God himself. That's what mission is all about. And there is a place not just for sending individuals. The Bible talks about sending churches. In the continuation of this chapter, Christopher Wright talks about, we have examples of the church in Jerusalem sending missionaries. The church in Antioch sending missionaries. The church in Philippi sending missionaries. But there's a great example in the third letter of John, where John talks about, and let me read this, where when John is writing to Gaius, and says, the elder John to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, he praises them for holding on to truth. And in 3 John verse 5, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for those brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Christopher Wright talks about, do we send our missionaries on their journey in a manner worthy of God? reflecting the honor we have for them because of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, listen to this, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And Christopher Wright says, by supporting those missionaries, John doesn't say so that they may be workers for the truth. He says what? We may be fellow workers. The workers who go and are sent and the people who support them are in it together. Fellow workers for the truth. So that's what we hope to encourage you with at this mission conference. And I will close with this. I was listening to a sermon on generosity by Tim Keller. He has a great talk about the importance of being generous. And in Acts chapter 20... It's Paul's farewell address to Ephesians. It's a sad moment. They're crying because Paul is saying goodbye. Paul is not going to see them any longer, anymore. And the last two things that Paul says to the leaders of the Ephesians church, he commends them to grace in Acts 20 verse 32, and he commends them to generosity. And Paul quotes Jesus statement, which is not reported in the Gospels, but Paul quotes Jesus as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul, the very last thing that he wants to say to the church, says, hang on to grace, hang on to the gospel, hang on to the love of God, and give to the poor, be committed to giving and generosity. And this theme of love of God and being generous is a big theme in the New Testament, in the Old Testament too. And this is what Keller says, and I will end with this. If you understand the gospel of grace, or to the degree that you understand the gospel of grace, you will live a radically generous life. 
you will live a radically generous life. That's the most important thing that Paul can say. If, and then Keller goes on to say, if you truly have a spiritual inheritance, it means you are going to be promiscuously generous with your earthly inheritance. If you really are committed to grace and the gospel, Paul says you will be committed to a lifestyle of generosity because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Father, I'm here as a thankful fellow worker for the truth of the gospel with my brothers here at First Press Thomasville. I thank you for their generosity. I thank you for their vision for the broken in Thomasville and the broken in Kenya and Iran, for the broken in Haiti and Cuba and Brazil, and the broken in other towns in the state of Georgia. I pray that, Father, you would bless them so that they would be a blessing to the people you have brought to them. May they experience the abundant life, not just spiritually but also financially, so they can more effectively preach the good news of this Jesus. So people can hear who Jesus is, people can believe in Jesus, people can call on Jesus, and people can be saved by Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.